Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Not too bad. Uh, this has been, I think it's been a, a good week overall. Uh, things at Causal are starting to heat up a little bit. We were we were covered in a couple of high-profile newsletters. There's one called Dense Discovery. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, no, never heard of it. Yeah, they have a few like tens of thousands of readers all within like the sort of tech niche. And so they, uh, they post a link to Causal, I think at the start of the week. And so we've had like a ton of signups. Uh, we actually now have people who are paying us as well. So we're starting to like try to no, out monetization. made revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we have like a handful of people paying right now, but we're, yeah, we're trying to figure out like the right pricing model and that kind of stuff. So we've been chatting to our early users for that. But it's nice. It feels like, yeah, between us and the power users who are currently using it, it feels like we're onto, we're onto some secret that no one else knows about. And it feels very special <laughs> where like they get it and we get it, but no one, yeah. no one else knows about it yet. You know, and it, it feels like, yeah, it feels like we have, we have, a, we have a secret. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you've got some revenue and it seems to be, seems to be heating up. Yeah. How, uh, how does that feel? Like, because it seemed like with the whole Corona stuff, uh, causal hadn't been going so well, but I don't know if, uh, like, did you have any sort of, uh, negativity towards it? Be like, oh, maybe this won't work after all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks ago, I was like, oh man, you know, we still don't have any paying users or whatever. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm trying to be like, let, I'm trying to let my sort of outlook on it be less driven by the day to day of like what's happened this week kind of thing. Cause I, you, you know, mm. a, a few months ago, it used to be the case that like, if, uh, if one person logged onto causal in a, in a given day, it would be like, oh, hurrah, what a great day. Someone used causal. Uh, and now we've kind of gotten to the point where we're sort of way past that. And now it's kind of like, you know, every day there's multiple people signing up and building interesting models without ever interacting with us. And so now, now the bar for a good day is uh, either a ton of signups, which we get occasionally when people cover us on newsletters or Twitter and stuff like that, or that, you know, a bunch of people built really cool models without talking to us. So I think having, having users use it regularly, I think there's almost always at least someone on, on, on the app now. So I think that that's really motivating and it's nice to be at that stage rather than the kind of, default of no people using your product stage okay yeah that's pretty cool that i i suppose that's kind of the case with with anything that we start that kind of grows like you know early days of a youtube channel you're like oh my god i'm on 63 subscribers yeah yeah yes that kind of stuff (laughs) and now it's like damn that video only got a hundred thousand views in four days what the hell is going on i'm gonna end my life (laughs) (laughs) so you know the the new normal the hedonic adaptation all of that kind of stuff yeah it's good to hear that things have been going going recently yeah i think we're in a good place how about you how's your week been my week's been pretty good, all right. Um, pretty good. Uh, work has been pretty pretty fun. Although, so I, I I don't know if you've if you have you okay. I probably shouldn't ask this, but have you have you seen my video about the Microsoft Surface Go? The Surface Go. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Microsoft have released this new tablet called the Surface Go Two, and I did an unboxing and impressions review of it. And at the moment, it's on like a hundred thousand views. Is, is that good? And it's got or is that bad? Two thousand. 
I mean, it's fine. It's, it's got 2,000 likes and 1,000 dislikes. 1,000 dislikes? <laughs> yeah. And, and like, lots and lots of the comments are people being like, bro, why the hell did you make this video? You clearly don't know what you're talking about. Bro, obviously, you know, obviously Windows is going to lag if you go for the Pentium processor. <laughs> Bro, obviously, you're not allowed to compare the Microsoft Surface with the iPad Pro because that's a device in a different league. We're like, okay, fine, fair enough. That's that's a reasonable point. In fairness, I was comparing it with the budget iPad a lot as well. And yeah, uh, bro, obviously, oh, lol, this guy tried to install Chrome from the Microsoft Store. He's clearly never used Windows before. Dude, stick to motivation, productivity videos. <laughs> Stop screwing around with Windows. And it was it was like my really my first my first experience of the uh the zealotry slash uh kind of crusade that comes when you kind of do when you when you make when you make any kind of video well, like yeah when you one. talk about any sensitive so, subject exactly exactly so i didn't realize people would be that uh weird about it i thought it was a <laughs> uh, so it, you know eventually i i changed the uh um the title to apple fanboy reacts to microsoft surface go and that actually caused a uptick in in viewers oh, okay. so i think the title change yeah. caused caused the video to be more clickbaity and is now a little bit more accurate oh nice so that was an so that was interesting because previously like in the past like three years I've not been like affected by any negative comments in the slightest. Wait, this, 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 don't this, Windows up. gangs comments affected you? <laughs> no, no. As in, so I I have I have this kind of very stable baseline of I don't give a toss about most things yeah. in life, as as you know. Uh, mostly negative, like ex- exclusively negative comments, kind of fall into that category of I don't I don't care about this. But there were so many of these, and a lot of them had very reasonable points that I, it, it kind of made me feel something a little bit more than nothing at all. Oh, mate! And so I thought I thought that was interesting because I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect That's, this. I mean, it's... like objectively, in the grand scheme of things, I I actually don't give a toss. All of these kind of random random Indian dudes commenting from their kind of uh, you know land network, like, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, I I I actually don't care. But I think a lot of the criticism was was warranted um, and reasonably justified. And so I think. I feel like I've now learnt some very useful lessons for next time I try and cover this sort of stuff. Oh, so you kind of felt bad because you didn't do a good job, like objectively or something. Um, I mean, I wasn't trying to make it a review. It was just an unboxing and impressions, and I was fairly clear about that. And, but I think the the way that I presented it is not the way in hindsight I would have liked to present it. I think my opinions were very valid, but you know I, I think people latched onto the fact that i i said the phrase ipad pro a few too oh, many yeah. times rather than the budget ipad and so five thousand comments were like bro how can you possibly compare this against the <laughs> ipad pro and i'm like no, no, no. <laughs> even with the budget ipad the, the budget ipad is blazing fast the budget marks of surface go is a slow piece of shit that was the point i was making but i didn't get that across clearly oh, okay. enough um and then kind of watching a few other videos about this about this sort of topic i think other other reviewers have done it with an element of uh, not being actively hating on it right sort of like when you're discussing religion even if you're criticizing a religion you want to not do it in a kind of beating someone in the over the face type way and so i was thinking maybe i should kind of police my tone next time i talk about the frustrations of windows potentially i don't know (laughs) Uh, but I, i i i kind of had all these questions going through my head and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't, I, have, I haven't encountered this side of the internet before. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you win some, you lose some. Exactly. But either way, that video is doing well. It's, not, it's, it's four out of 10 on the analytics, which is pretty solid, i.e. above average. Oh. And seems to be driving engagement. So we might even potentially hit 700k subs during this live stream. Oh, so awesome. guys, if, if you're watching the live stream and you're not subscribed for some reason, then do hit the subscribe button. 
and, do, and don't hit the unsubscribe button because that would be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a classic thing people and, do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As soon as you come close to a milestone. By the way, for people listening to this on the podcast, we're actually live streaming this on YouTube on my channel. So you should uh, check it out. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? All right. So this is uh, part three of our series on transactional analysis. So people who are watching this on YouTube... You almost certainly will not have listened to the last two episodes about uh, transaction analysis. And so probably very little of this will uh, make sense. It doesn't matter. Uh, we'll, we'll do a little summary of like the main things that uh, that are relevant before we dig into the meat of the episode. Uh, but we are specifically talking about various games. We're going to you know, talk, talk, look at a list of different games and uh, and analyze them and kind of talk, talk about how Maybe we've experienced them in our own lives. That's what we're doing today. Uh, it's based on a book called Games People Play by Dr. Eric Byrne, MD. Okay. <laughs> Eric Byrne, MD. Very yep. nice. I have, uh, have, you, have you got the book? Because you can show it on camera and it kind of looks cool. All right. Here's a book. Oh, for the first oh, wait, time. Oh, Skype can... is blurring my background. So if I, if I, keep, if I keep moving it, <laughs> no, it's, it's too smart. <laughs> right. That's the book, Games People Play. Um, the Psychology of Human Relationships. Yep. Oh, that should be the title of this podcast, The Psychology of Human Relationships, Games People Play. That would be sufficiently clickbait. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and it, oh, I wonder if I can actually change the name of the live stream. Anyway, sorry, continue. So uh, I, I wonder if you can give us a, qu- a quick summary of what we've talked about in transactional analysis so far. I was going to ask you to give the summary because I've, you know, this is, I've sort of been the teacher and this you've been the student. So yeah, that's okay. A- right. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be the senpai. No, no, I'm going to be the sensei now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the, the, there were a few other random bits that I want to talk about, but we'll, at the end? We'll, we'll chat about those at the, at, at the end. Um, so the field of transactional analysis is kind of like a subsection of psychology where we're trying to analyze relationships and human interaction in a way that makes sense using a shared kind of language. We have shared languages for practically everything else in life. If we're discussing, you know, processor speed, we all know what 2.4 gigahertz means on an Intel Pentium versus Intel Core M processor, as I've been <laughs> told repeatedly over the last yeah, several you, days recently about found, how I know nothing about <laughs> <laughs> I've only recently found out that Pentium is actually a 20-year-old computer architecture and should not be used. Um, and apparently Microsoft expect people to know this before they buy the budget editions of their product. But that's a conversation for another time. I'm not bitter about this in the slightest. The point is, we have a a shared language for all these other things that we talk about, but we don't really have a shared language for discussing human interaction. And so transactional analysis is an attempt at giving us a shared language for analyzing human interaction. So the, the, the premise of transactional analysis or TA for short is that every, uh, every, every interaction between human beings is a series of transactions. Um, but in order to understand that, we need to kind of start by considering essentially there are three bits of us within us within inside ourselves and inside ourselves we've got the adult we've got the child and we've got the parent now these are kind of named somewhat unintuitively initially so bear with me on this front but initially we've got the parent and the parent within us is essentially the uncritical uh the the uncritical part of us that is that that believes the stuff that we were told when we were younger, before we had the kind of critical thinking faculties to be able to uh, critically assess the things that we were told. So, for example, if um, our mum were to tell us that we should never put paper in the blue bin, we would just kind of take it as fact that you should never put paper in the blue bin, and we wouldn't 
you, you know necessarily question why and p- potentially 20 years later we might still find ourselves holding on to this just like feeling slightly weird about putting paper into a blue bin um and if we think about it we'd, we'd realize that oh actually it's because i had this thing told to my parent when i was a child and therefore it's just become a part of me so that's sort of what the the parent with a capital p is inside yeah of just to, just to, just to kind of uh, yeah. the, 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 you can think of the parent as essentially all the cultural baggage that you have uh which mostly comes from your actual parents from early childhood but also a little bit would come from like the society you've grown up in uh, and things like that and so the the sort of the capital b parent inside of you is basically a, a set of recordings of all the various things that uh you know parents and authority figures told you when you were younger um, yeah i think cultural baggage is a good way to think of it anyway next one nice okay so the parent inside of us holds on to the cultural baggage next we have the child and the child is sort of like the parent in that it's sort of the stuff that other people told us when we were younger but the child is more kind of the 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 feelings that arise from it as opposed to the uh, uh the cultural baggage itself so for example if you were shouted at for doing something when you were younger you would have that feeling of like cringing inside and that would be attached to your child self is that fair yeah, to say yeah uh, and then finally, we have the adult, and the and the adult is the well, the adult part of ourselves, the ones that can make the one that can makes that makes rational decisions for the most part, uh, and thinks critically about the world. And in general, the sort of the aim in life is to try and uh, shed the baggage of our parent and child and become the adult in as many ways. So, as so it's not it's not quite to shed the baggage of the parent and child, but it's to it's to be selective about what you give emphasis to from the parent and the child a lot a lot of your cultural baggage and a lot of the stuff in your parents uh in your capital p parents will actually be stuff that's good you know uh it's it's it saves an awful lot of time if you don't have to think critically about everything but you want your adults to kind of control your life and decide what bits from the parent and what bits from the child uh, it wants to keep and also make its own conclusions about things that are neither in the parent nor the child so it's not about like getting rid of the parent and the child it's about like the adult being the thing in control yeah, absolutely. So that that's kind of the parent-child adult framework, parent-adult the PAC framework, parent-adult-child. Yep. Um, and so that was what we discussed two episodes back in episode one of transaction analysis. And then last episode we talked about the four different states of life being, positions in a way, life positions. Okay, and do you want to explain those? Because I've been talking enough and I need to monitor this chat. Yeah, sure. So uh, at a at a at a reasonably young age, uh, we all conclude uh, something about life and something about ourselves uh and there, there are sort of there are four, four things we conclude one of four different things uh the f- the first thing we might conclude is uh i'm not okay you're okay uh the second thing we might conclude is i'm not okay you're not okay the third thing we might conclude is i think you're, you're spotting a pattern here uh i'm okay you're not okay uh, and the fourth thing we might conclude is i'm okay you're okay all right so the, this is you know, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's basically a, a worldview and a view about yourself. So, you know, if most people, the vast majority of people, ourselves included, uh, will conclude at a reasonably young age that I'm not okay, you're okay. I.e. that I, like myself, have, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lacking in some way, uh, but other people in the world around me are somehow not. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's similar to, things around self-esteem and uh, things like that but most of us will conclude i'm not okay you're okay uh, and we will live out the rest of our lives basically trying to become okay uh but thinking that we can be okay if we do certain things you know if we uh you know achieve have certain achievements or if we get respect from certain people we'll live out a life of i can be okay if 
uh, and we'll, we'll, tr- we'll try and sort of get over the not okay by, by kind of doing that. Uh, but the point of this whole framework is to, uh, make a conscious decision to take the life position of I'm okay, you're okay. So that the, you have to decide that you are going to view the world through a lens in which, uh, essentially everyone has self-worth and everyone is equal. And yeah, this, this is, this is stuff, you know, all the sort of enlightened people have preached throughout time, right? It's all the same thing about like, you know, human equality and loving yourself and loving everyone, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think it's summed up nicely by the, the phrase, I'm okay, you're okay. Um, and so, yeah, the goal of transaction analysis in a sense is to help you get to this, uh, nirvana of I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, but actually the thing that we're talking about today is not really related to life positions much. Uh, it is related to games. Uh, do you, do you remember what a game is, Ali? Um, okay. So there's a few different, there's like five different ways in which, uh, basically, uh, I think, I think the point was that all human interaction can be split up into five different, five distinct categories. Yeah. One of these categories is games. Now a game, uh, versus, so, uh, I think, it's it's important to 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 say here that we can also split uh, okay i'm going to start again uh one of the categories is pastimes and another of the categories is games uh pastimes are the sort of thing where for example just like discussing the weather it's a fairly innocuous topic you know both parties kind of know how the how the script goes and essentially both both parties take something away from this discussion of the weather there's no clear winner or loser. Yeah. Whereas crucially, when it comes to games, there is a winner and there is a loser for the most part. Um, and it's very interesting that a lot of what, a lot of the discussions and the, 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 the transactions, the interactions that we have with other people are games of some sort, i.e. where there's a winner and there's a loser. And so there's this book of games people play, which kind of breaks down in interesting detail these sorts of games that we play in different levels of interaction yeah. so game, games and pastimes are both kind of ways people interact they're both kind of they're both sort of ritualistic pastimes in particular is, is pretty ritualistic when you're discussing the weather with someone you both you both know that you know what we're doing here is making small talk about the weather you both kind of know that you're both kind of um you know you're giving each other st- some uh mild strokes uh strokes just kind of means uh you know acknowledgement or kind of uh yeah, you're, you're kind of acknowledging your fellow human being. So you're, you're both kind of stroking each other mildly and you both go away, you know, having had a pleasant interaction. That, that's generally what a pastime is. Uh, the, the difference between a pastime and a game is that, yeah, like you said, in a game, there is, uh, usually a winner and a loser. And in, in a game, there's something like, there's something ulterior about the way at least one person is behaving. So, uh, you know, in, in a pastime, if I'm asking you, you know, how, how's the weather or whatever, it's, it's pretty like, it's pretty innocuous. There's, there's nothing, much going on underneath the surface uh but in a in a game typically the things that you're saying are kind of or at least the things that one person is saying are not necessarily representative of what they actually feel or how or what, what they actually kind of mean uh, i guess it's easy it's easiest if we if we give an example so uh one of i think the example that we looked at in depth uh, in the last episode was the example was uh the game called why don't you yes but okay do you remember what this game is, Ali? Um, yes. So Why Don't You Yes But is a game where, let's say we've got white and black, kind of like players in a chessboard. Um, and uh, let's say white goes first and white says something like, uh, hey, would he, white says to black, hey, would you like to come out to have dinner with me tonight? Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll play the, I'll play the uh, role of black. Okay. Uh, 
oh, I wish I could, but you know, I have so much work to do. Okay, well, um, maybe I could come over to yours and we can kind of grab a quick takeaway, and it'll be over in twenty minutes. Just want to see how you're doing. How will how will that sound? Uh, you know, I've, I'm trying to save money though. It's just, it's, it's really hard for me to do these kinds of things. Okay. Um, that's fine. What, okay. How about I come over to yours and I'll bring the food. I, you know, I've got some spare leftovers and then we can just kind of have a quick meal and, and, and that'll be that. Yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't want to like cause you the trouble of having to come over and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh no, no, no. It's going to be no trouble at all. I mean, you know, I can literally just come in. I can give you some, I can give you a play and I could, I could just be on my way. You're only kind of 20 minutes down the road. Well, you know, I, do, I also have to get up early tomorrow. So I, yeah, I, I don't know if this is going to work. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> and now <laughs> your life is a mess. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah. So essentially the point, the point of this game is that one person, uh, that which was me in, in this case, uh, feels that their problems are, uh, sort of difficult and what, what they're trying to do is essentially prove that their their problem is unfixable and that their situation is completely uh you know they're completely helpless in their situation they're you know, unhappy about some particular thing in their life and there's nothing that they or anyone else can do about it so my my like you know uh, on on the surface you know i was you know we're having a sort of normal conversation about this thing and i was telling you you know perfectly reasonable reasons why i couldn't actually have dinner with you um, but underneath, what I was really trying to do was prove to myself and to you that actually, uh, my, yeah, my life sucks and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Um, and that will hopefully make me feel a little bit, oh, well, get, get some kind of, not make me feel better about my life, but hopefully give me some, some strange sense of satisfaction from having proved that, uh, my life sucks and no one can help me. Yeah. And I suppose in this example, I, I think, you probably should have started with the phrase, oh, I'm really depressed tonight. And I'd, and I'd have been like, oh, why don't I come cheer you up? But why don't we go out for dinner? And then you would have kind of launched into this. Yeah, yeah. This kind like, of thing. Oh, I'm, but, I'm so but fed up like, of staying in, you know, I want to do something. And then you'll be like, oh, let's do this thing. And I'll be like, uh, yes, but no, you know, that's, that's kind of stuff. Um, so that that's like a really common game. And I think we mentioned last time that I definitely ran into this a bunch of times. And uh, this was the original, this, this game was the original stimulus for uh, Eric Byrne to come up with the entire concept of games. I think he noticed this and he was like, whoa, there's something going on here. Cause like, obviously the, yeah, I think everyone has experienced these kinds of conversations with people. Right. Uh, and so this was the first hint that uh, when people interact, something may be afoot. Uh, so that, yeah, that's the game of uh, why don't you yes, but, and essentially uh, in this, episode, yeah, we're now probably like half an hour in, but now, now in this episode, we will, uh, <laughs> take a look at a few other games that people might play okay right i'm i'm intrigued what, what are the different games that people play okay so uh in the, in the book he kind of he splits them up in different categories there are life games marital games party games sexual games underworld games uh consulting room games and good games uh now look, i've i've kind of I've, I've read through all of these some of them i think are a bit less relatable than others so i will you know, and maybe i'm um, you know, I've had limited experiences in my life, and so uh, I won't really get some of these games. Okay, so we're not going to talk about party. <laughs> <laughs> nice, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, I think we, we, we'll go through and, and uh, let, take a look in a bit more detail at a few of these games that are hopefully a bit more relatable for, for you and me. Uh, ah, there was an interesting example. So Mimi and I have been watching Modern Family with dinner rewatching modern family season well we're on season three now uh and there was an episode uh that we watched yesterday where uh claire so if you haven't watched modern family it's about like three different families which are all kind of related uh claire is uh 
Clara is the mum in in one of the households. She has a husband and three kids. Okay, and Claire in the episode wants to run for the for her local council. She 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 wants to like be on the local council so she can help her community, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and she goes there to like sign up. She goes to like the the town hall or whatever to sign up to uh, run as a local councillor. And there she like encounters like one of the other guys who's been who's running for local council, and he's been doing it for like six years straight or something, and, he, and he's had it, he's always won, and so she's kind of intimidated. Uh, and then when she gets, you know, there's, there's like a family gathering that evening where all three of the families kind of gather. Um, and you know, she was busy that day. And so Phil, her husband kind of had to take care of the kids and, you know, make sure all the various bits and bobs were done. Uh, and Phil didn't do a great job at that. Okay. And so, uh, when Claire, you know, when Claire finds out that, you know, Phil had accidentally given one of the kids the wrong medicine and that another one of the kids had like, you know, it was debt to someone or something like that. It's a comedy show, mind you. Uh, Claire is essentially like, oh man, see Phil, you know, how am I supposed to run for town council when, you know, I can't trust you to like take care of the household, you know, back, back home kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, Claire, yeah, Claire is kind of having a go at Phil and kind of feeling, I guess sort of feeling sorry for herself that she's, uh, her family is what's holding her back. Uh, and she's kind of whining about this to Gloria, who's uh, the mum in one of the other households. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Gloria's like, so why, why aren't you running for town council? And she and Claire's like, well, you saw what happened. You know, Phil can't, you know, I, I, I can't leave the Phil and the kids. They, they can't take care of themselves. And then Gloria's like, why are you really not running for town council? And then, <laughs> and then a few more, after a few more times, uh, Claire admits that it's because, uh, she's worried that she might lose and that, you know, she's been a housewife for like 15 years or something. And this would be like the first thing that she's tried to do outside of the house. And she's really scared about losing. Um, and so in this, in this instance, Claire is playing a game called if it weren't for you, where, uh, you know, Claire wants to, Claire, part of Claire wants to do this thing, uh, which is run for local council. Another part of Claire is really scared of doing this thing because it's, uh, it's quite, quite an intimidating thing to do for the first time. Uh, and so, uh, what Claire does is she, uh, essentially finds, finds an excuse not to do it and kind of blames it on, uh, her husband in this case, which is like, yeah, if it weren't for you, I'd, I'd be able to sort of do, do all this stuff. Um, and so that's, uh, I th- which category of, which category does that come into in the book? Um, it doesn't matter which category it comes into in the book. Uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's one particular game. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder what are the circumstances we see that that kind of game in. I think it's it's very it's very popular, even if it's not another person that you're you're doing it on. But I suppose kind of transactional analysis is sort of the uh, it's the the framework is for interactions with other people. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, what's the next one? Um, if you're watching live, this is not going to be one of the more interesting episodes to watch live because there's going to be a lot of me <laughs> glancing through this book on my screen. Uh, and these pauses will be cut from the podcast recording. <laughs> they won't be cut if you're watching it live. Indeed. Yeah. By the way, everyone watching this live, all 600 of you, uh, please do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast apps. And I bet we're going to get a question be like, what's a podcast? How do I subscribe? Which goes to show that not everyone listens to podcasts, even though they probably should. Yeah, so there's, there's an interesting game in the party games category called Blemish. And I think, like, yeah, this game isn't necessarily... Like, these games, uh, you, you touched on this a moment ago, they're actually not necessarily directly played with someone else. Like, it, it can also be just, like, a <clears throat> an internal sort of thing with yourself. And so uh, one of the games that uh, which Burns seems to have noticed is called Blemish, uh, 
and uh okay how does that work it's it's a game in which uh essentially you are you are coming from the sort of the child position of you know i'm no good i'm not okay and in order to in order to sort of connect with another person you have to sort of play you have to sort of take the parent role and find a reason to think that they are they're not okay either uh so it's almost like you know you're sort of insecure about yourself uh and you don't really feel comfortable with a new person until you found some blemish with them as well and then it's like oh okay they're not okay as well so let's uh send, send you know now i can sort of connect with them or whatever okay so for example uh so i think this kind of i feel like this comes up a lot i i well i've, I've heard people say this a lot in you know when you're sort of looking at someone who's like really successful or something or someone who's like really rich whatever and someone might say something like yeah but are they really happy though <laughs> or like yeah but i i heard i heard things aren't good at home <laughs> you know or oh, elon musk had a divorce <laughs> or something you know this kind of stuff so I, th- I think this is like uh it's it's a pretty common sort of mindset where you, you, you're always trying to bring other people down to your level before you feel comfortable with them you know hey anyway, that's one of them we can move on yeah um I'm trying to rack my brain to think if there are any examples from my life where I can think of myself playing this game. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know how people say, and this, this is definitely true, that we connect with others often based on vulnerabilities and showing someone else a vulnerability of your own makes it a lot easier to connect with them because then they think, oh, you know, this guy's you know he's one he's one of the lads he's got vulnerabilities as well yeah yeah, yeah. we're both not okay <laughs> yeah i wonder if that comes into this category of blemish games but i mean i i want to say it doesn't because i think that's very that's like a very reasonable thing like y- you can be okay and think of the other person as being okay but still recognize that actually if i open up about how i stepped in a puddle and lost my keys this morning that's more likely to endear me to someone else than if i talk about how i just hit seven hundred thousand subscribers on youtube I don't know. I think that's that's a dodgy framing because you're thinking about how you can best endear yourself to someone else, which sounds like pretty not okay kind of thing to do. Um, no, I think you can be okay, but also recognize that you know there are that you know I want to I want to connect with this person, and one way of doing that is by sharing vulnerabilities. I don't know, man. Like that seems like the way to connect with someone is to keep it real, not to think like. Hmm, I would like to connect with this person. Okay, no, let's but like, be, what do you mean by let me real? pull out so, a vulnerability card from my deck. <laughs> ha! I play the, I stepped in a puddle and lost my keys this morning card. <laughs> you know, like, come on. That's not really keeping it real. What do you mean by keeping it real? Like, it's a common, so I've, I've been reading a lot about storytelling as well, and it's a common thing that when telling a story, ideally you want to tell a story that where you start off looking, where you, where you start off as a jerk, and then you end up kind of being transformed into slightly less of a jerk. Right. In that experience you would probably say applying this lens of kind of i'm not okay you're not okay well like whatever that oh the fact that you're even thinking of crafting a story in order to entertain people is a sign that you're not okay no 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 actually you should just kind of say whatever whatever. like crafting a story to entertain people is fine but there is something ulterior in nature about thinking hmm i should tell this tell someone a vulnerability of mine so that they like me more that is there's something ulterior in nature about that do you agree um yeah, I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, look, I don't think I don't think it's that much of a bad thing either. But I also don't think it's like keeping it real. What the hell does keeping it like? You've got to define your term keeping it real, <laughs> because at the moment that's just like a blanket, sort of a blanket. Oh, it's not keeping it real. All right, shuts down any any and all conversation. Uh, okay. 
by keeping it real i kind of mean where you know and i'm sure you've experienced i'm sure you, even you have experienced this <laughs> on occasion <laughs> where you are interacting with someone and you know it's it's like when there's there's no uh there's no model there's no like analysis thread running in your head about like what's going on in this conversation how can i guide this or whatever it's it's when it's when you're just like in the moment you're just vibing you you know that that's like keeping it real that's that's like an authentic interaction and if you're sort of thinking in a, if you're in a conversation and someone is talking to you and while they're talking to you you're thinking hmm I wonder how to endear my, how to endear myself to them or how it's phrased, how to endear them to me. I don't know. I don't know how it's phrased. If, if someone's talking to you in a conversation and half of your mind is thinking about what next move you can make to make them like you more, that's, that's obviously not keeping it real. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying it's like a terrible thing, but at the same time, it's not keeping it real. Okay. I would argue that fine um i would argue that the more you do this the more natural yeah it for becomes. sure I, I, i'm not and saying i'm not saying it for, can't be a gateway and for a lot like, of people you know, and for a lot of people it is keeping it real by sharing a vulnerability as opposed to talking about like i like i don't know whatever which is which is my issue with the framing of this like for, like for example as you become better at storytelling you stop having to think so hard about you know the story the sort of story, story you craft and you just kind of naturally appreciate what kind of makes a good story and you will kind of fit the pieces in your mind accordingly and in a way, you have an ulterior motive there that you want to tell a good story, and you are keeping it real. You're just applying a known element of human psychology to what what you're saying to increase its impact, which is not anti keeping it real. Look, I th- equally me choose equally me choosing to share how I stepped in a puddle and lost my keys is not anti keeping it real. Even if the most salient thing that happened to me that day was I just landed this huge promotion, but I know I I'm, I, I don't want to mention that because this person's having a bad day, for example. And the, and the fact that I mentioned my promotion is going to make him feel worse. Like, I think, I, th- I think it's completely fine to have these sorts of ulterior motives and to sort of, in a way, be managing the emotions of others as you're chatting to them, which I don't think you would disagree with. No, no, so. I don't disagree with that. But I also think it's not keeping it real. It's not, look, it's obviously not an entirely two-way authentic interaction if one person is actively, you know, ver- fairly actively managing the emotions of you. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Oh, okay. I'm not saying that's fine. a bad you're thing. Saying, I'm saying it's not. You're saying it's not keeping it yes. real. Okay, fine. Fair enough. It is not keeping it real, but I, but I don't think, uh, as in, uh, in in that sense, I don't think keeping it real should be a goal. I think you want to be able to do it as you know, as much as possible. And like, I mean, yeah, sure. But you also want to want to be able to emotionally manage, you know, to to manage the emotions of others, to, to so as to be a positive influence in the world, rather than yeah, 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 for sure. Dick. Wait, how how yeah, how, I mean, how so. did we get onto this? Because I feel like the the context of this was the thing I objected. To. We got onto this with with the blemish thing and you were objecting to what did and you I was say saying, that I and, and i was uh the, the the thing i said was that sharing vulnerabilities is an important is an important part of connecting with others and you said yeah but i play my vulnerability track. <laughs> <laughs> that's not keeping no, no that's not exactly what we have we have record <laughs> we have record we can go back but so <laughs> well, that, that's fine yeah um okay what's the next game people play let's move on <laughs> on that note we have an interesting comment from the Kwiat Suzek1234. How can you keep it real when our reality is changing all the time? We don't really know who we are anyway. We are changing constantly. So, so does the story that we're telling ourselves. I think what you'd say in response to that is the definition of keeping it real is not having an ulterior motive to what you're saying in a way to influence, try and influence someone, someone else. And so it doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that we change all the time. Yeah. I could be keeping it real when I'm 13 and equally also be keeping it real when I'm 23, even though the person who i am at 13 and 23 is radically yeah yeah i'm not i don't think either of us are trying to make any 
claim about how there is one true authentic self that you have to be for your whole life um yeah i think it's about the, like the time scales like you're definitely changing over time but yeah your interactions with people at any point in time can you know you can still keep it real even though it might be different to the interaction you would have had with them a year, a year previously or something uh okay so the there is a sexual game called rapo uh okay <laughs> <laughs> what is the sexual game called rapo uh i'll just i'll just read it out of the book <laughs> save myself having to paraphrase okay this. <laughs> all right here we go uh let's mark this as not kids. <laughs> first degree rapo or kiss off uh is popular at social gatherings and consists essentially of mild flirtation white signals that she is available and gets her pleasure from the man's pursuit as soon as he has committed himself the game is over if she is polite she may say quite frankly i appreciate your compliments and thank you very much and move on to the next conquest if she is less generous she may simply leave him uh, a skillful player can make this game last for a long time at a large social gathering by moving around frequently so that the man has to carry out complicated maneuvers in order to follow her without being too obvious um okay that's yeah I've, I've definitely known this to be played i know yeah there were girls i knew at university who would uh very very consciously and intentionally play this game for fun at uh at the club and uh parties and things yeah people definitely play this game uh so that, that's one of, one of the have you have you ever played this game as in as as white i've played this game as white i don't i don't i don't think i have no i don't think i've played this game as white um have i ever played this game so back in my uh back in the heyday of my youth in my university days uh i think i was guilty of playing this game but not not like <laughs> but like more macro rather than micro what the hell does that mean as in more as in more like more long term rather than in an individual social gathering wait what do you mean in the sense of i think in my kind of early days of university if i saw someone who i was attracted to in some way i would kind of i would kind of flirt with the intent of getting them to like me and then once they did i would kind of lose interest oh okay often <laughs> yeah and this is a, a a fairly standard thing that 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 people do and i think it's a fairly common complaint that girls levy against guys for the most part if we're st gender stereotyping that all they want is the chase and once they've once they've got the, the thing then they don't really care anymore uh equally guys would levy that complaint against girls a lot as well so yeah i think i think but I, that's kind of what this game is yeah i think a lot of people are. yeah actually when, when you say that i think there yeah there was an instance in, in which i played white but this was before university this was in sixth form uh really yeah. have uh, what <laughs> have you told me about this i don't know maybe maybe it was a long time ago okay we can this, talk about it sort of been we like can talk about it after the show years ago, so. uh, yeah uh so that's uh that's rapo uh what else do we have Oh, okay. This is the one that we mentioned in the last episode. This this one is called Uproar, uh, which is allegedly uh, Uproar. Uproar. Okay, we, we we talked about okay. this, but we didn't mention it by name in the last episode. Uh, it is a classical game played between domineering fathers and teenage daughters, where there is a sexually inhibited mother. Uh, father comes home from work and finds fault with daughter, who answers impudently. Uh, whereupon father finds fault. Their voices rise and the clash becomes more acute and the outcome depends on uh, who has the initiative. Either the father retires to his bedroom and slams the door or the daughter retires to her bedroom and slams the door or both retire to their respective bedrooms and slam the doors. Um, but like, yeah, they sort of kick off, uh, kick off a little uproar 
and yeah and this was the thing where i, I think i think we talked about this in the last episode because i said like this is a good book and stuff and this burn guy seemed to have he's definitely onto something with this but like a lot of the examples and a lot of this like some of the stuff he says just seems a bit too extreme and i don't i don't really buy it like but in but like in fairness y- you and i haven't really grown up in a household where there are daughters right, or fathers sure, yeah so <laughs> I wonder if if we had and we had the same level of sort of uh, kind of overthinking as as we do whether we'd be like actually I could kind of see that I wonder if that would happen I I wonder it too I mean the next slide is uproar offers a distressing but effective solution to these sexual problems that arise between fathers and teenage daughters in certain households often they can only live in the same house together if they're angry at each other uh, slamming doors and and all of this stuff and emphasizing that they have separate bedrooms. Um, I get that 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 part makes sense, but the part where Byrne does the classic psych, the psychologist thing of like making it like a sex thing, I feel it just I'm not really convinced. And again, like I don't have much data for this, but like I feel like there are probably better explanations for why fathers and daughters end up in this game of uproar than some weird sexual problem between them. That's that's the yeah, thing I, I think is like uh, a bit far fetched. It, it seems a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? Yeah, but then. A lot of psychologists ultimately, like, w- whatever their method of analysis, they always ar- ar- arrive at the sex thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's like with most kind of schools of philosophy or, or most kind of moral codes within religions, they mostly arrive at, like, the golden rule of do unto others as you have them do unto you. Like, I mean, a lot of things converge onto that. Equally, a lot of things converge onto the whole stoicism thing of control your emotions and actually you can choose your own thoughts. Uh Maybe there's something to it, but who knows? We have, we have, we have no data one way or another. Yeah. Or so we, we, we tell people. And, and Byrne goes a step further. He says that in general, uproar may be played by any two people who are trying to avoid, avoid sexual intimacy. Uh, it is relatively rare between teenage boys and their female relatives because it is easier for teenage boys to escape from the house in the evening than for other members of the family. This book was written in the 1950s or something. You know, so a lot of the examples and norms are quite different now. Uh, hmm. At an earlier age, brothers and sisters can set up effective barriers and partial satisfactions through <laughs> through physical combat. <laughs> a pattern which has various motivations at different ages uh, and w- which in America is a semi-ritualistic form of uproar. Uh, so I guess... Wait, sorry, what, what, what was that last bit? Brothers and sisters at, at an early age yeah. play, uh, play, we'll, uproar we'll, we'll by, play uproar through physical combat. <laughs> I uh-huh, they're like damn. having a physical fight to like i don't know handle the sexual tension between them or something i mean so me and you had a lot of physical fights up until like <laughs> what, yeah what changed <laughs> yeah uh we won't get into that anyway <laughs> let's uh, let's move on okay so the, the, the whole category of underworld games is kind of weird because it is actually like criminal games it's between like it's like a category of games that are played between like criminals and and law enforcement so it's maybe interesting all right, it's, it, it's probably the kind of stuff you'll see on crime shows and things. And if you're a criminal and or a uh, policeman, you might see this in real life. It's not going to be that relatable for most people. Uh, I think the ma- at least I think the marital games category is interesting. Uh, okay, yeah, I'd be intrigued by that as well. I feel like um, what was that one where uh, if it weren't for you, that sounds like it probably uh, that may- was more likely to be a marital game. Yeah, that may may well be in uh, in this section. Uh, but the first the first one in this section sounds pretty good. So this is a uh, this is a game called Corner. Corner, okay. Okay, Corner allegedly consists of a disingenuous refusal to play the game of another. Uh, 
yeah, it's like a, a barrier to intimacy. So here's how it goes down. Mrs. White suggests to her husband that they should go to a movie. Mr. White agrees. Then Mrs. White makes an unconscious flip. She mentions quite naturally in the course of conversation that the house needs painting. Uh, this is an expensive project and Mr. White has recently told her that their finances are strained and he has requested her not to embarrass or annoy him by suggesting unusual expenditures, at least until the beginning of the next month. Uh, therefore, this is a bad time for Mrs. White to have brought up the house needing painting. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, Mrs. White, you know, they're about to go out to the movies. Uh, Mrs. White then mentions, oh man, we need to paint the house. The husband takes offense uh and is kind of like look man i know we need to paint the house i told you we haven't got money or something you know why are you bring this up now and then mrs white takes offense and says that if he is in one of his bad moods she will not go to the movie with him and he had best go by himself uh and then mr white is like fine if you don't want to go i will go with myself or like with the boys or whatever um and uh then mr white goes out to the movie uh leaving mrs white at home to nurse her injured feelings um so i feel like this this doesn't and Mrs. White was the one who wanted to go to the movie in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think Mrs. White is like the winner. You know, she, she, she kind of sets up the game. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, so apparently there are two possible gimmicks in this game. Uh, the first is that Mrs. White knows very well from past experience that she's not supposed to take his annoyance seriously. He's not like genuinely annoyed or angry or anything, but what he really wants is for her to show some appreciation, uh, of how hard he works to earn their living. Uh, and then they can go off to the movies together. Uh, but she, you know, when it, you know, when it comes to that point, she refuses to play. So she refuses to be like, you know, you're right. I know how hard you work. I know it's tough. I'm sorry for bringing the thing up. Uh, and he fills that down and then he's disappointed and resentful and she gets to stay at home, uh, looking abused, but with a secret feeling of triumph. Uh, so that that's if like Mrs. White kind of initiated the game and set it up. Okay. Uh, if, 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 it, if it was actually Mr. White, then you know, in this case, Mr. White knows very well from past experience that he's not supposed to take her seriously when she brings up the house painting, when they're about to go out to the movies. Why do you take that seriously? What she really wants is to be honeyed out of it. And then they would go off happily together. So, you know, she, she really wants him to be like, ah, oh, yes, you know, we, we should paint the house. I'm so sorry. I haven't gotten to that yet or something. And then they're both happy and they go to the movies. However, he, re- he refuses <laughs> to play that game. Uh, he knows, he knows what she wants him to say, <laughs> but he, uh, he, pre- he pretends he doesn't, uh, and he leaves the house feeling cheerful and relieved, but looking wronged. Um, so yeah, in, in both cases, what, whatever the, the dynamic is, they're both like taking the other person literally when they know that like, that is not what the other person wants and, and that's not what they should be doing. They're kind of being stubborn about, I don't know, letting the other person off or something. Hmm. And so oh, you're, you're kind of pushing the other person into this corner where, Either they have to, uh, sort of succumb and play your game, in which case you win, or there's this kind of, uh, dramatic, fine, I'll, you go, you go to the movies kind of thing. And, and, and once yeah. again, after all, this, he brings it back. <laughs> he's, he's done it again, Dr. Bird. He has, uh, both of them find the movie is sexually. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Right. The reason they played this game is that both of them find the movies sexually stimulating and it is more or less anticipated that after they return from the movies, they will make love. Hence, whichever one of them wants to avoid intimacy sets up the game. This is all a long drawn out plan to not have to, you know, do it after they come home from the cinema. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. When when he says this kind of stuff, I'm like, come on, dude. You 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 had it so good up to that point. Why did you why did you say that? All right. Um, so 
I guess we have to send a text to all of our married friends to be like, hey, <laughs> if we take the number of times you've been to the cinema versus the number of times you've made love having gone to the cinema, <laughs> is that number close to one? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, can, I can definitely relate to that. I feel like uh, I've, I'm sure I've had that situation with you when we were younger or something. Or like, I'm sure that comes up. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you don't i mean if you did i wasn't aware you don't remember (laughs) wow uh but no you know like the kind of the kind of stubborn thing where you decide to like you know what's going on you know you could take the bait or you could like be the big be mature about it and you decide to like you know be stubborn and decide to be stubborn about it yeah do zid i feel like no no, yeah (laughs) there's a lot of circumstances so i feel like i feel like in most aspects of life um other than in interactions with Mimi, I am pretty good at kind of being the bigger man, <laughs> as it were, and and just playing the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm always surprised at how unenlightened you are <laughs> when uh, when you're at home when it comes to things. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty enlightened in general. But I think I think every, everyone everyone's kind of like that with their family and stuff. I think Eric. I was watching an interview with uh, from like the 1960s with Eric Byrne. And he talks about like, you know, sometimes he will end up in shouting matches with his kids uh, and like his adult won't be in control. And he, you know, mm. for some reason he's good with most people, but sometimes with his kids, uh, you know, the uh, the feelings come out or something. Yeah, I think I think family falls into that category. Like I've got lots and lots of friends, um, also I like to think, who talk about kind of when when they go home for the weekend the whole house becomes like a shouting match and they just cannot imagine living like that in any other aspect of life other than when they go home for the weekend yeah i think that i think the thing is like most of the time you have spent with your family is when you are a child and so when you come home and i I, i've levied this uh this beef against you in the past even before this transaction analysis stuff where i think i said i said something like you know when you come home you basically behave like your old teenage self where you expect everything to be done for you and you just kind of sit around and you don't take any responsibility for things. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, it, I think it fits nicely into the, the PAC framework where you're sort of thrown back into your child self and you're kind of, everyone is back into their old roles from 15 years ago where there is a parent and there's a child when it should really mm. be, uh, you know, there is an adult and there is another adult. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And it's a, a constant struggle. Yeah. But I think it also comes with the practice. I think you're you're not yeah, you're no, not I, home that often, so you're not like yeah you're you're not like you're, you're, yeah yeah I, I haven't got the space repetition yeah you don't have the space repetition whereas I think I think now Mimi and I are at a point where uh, we spend a decent amount of time together, especially in quarantine, and so when whenever there is a possible game of corner to be played, one of us will <laughs> will back out and we won't play that game. <laughs> uh, three guesses. <laughs> I think it's fairly balanced. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, what's an example of of a recent game of corner you've played where you have set up the game? Look, there are certain things that I tried corner BB with. <laughs> Look, there there <laughs> okay. are certain like this is interesting. <laughs> there are certain sort of uh, topics which I'm keen mm. to explore and get to the bottom. Or like incest? <laughs> no, we're, we've talked about that one. <laughs> there are certain... okay. We've 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 hashed that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you were there when we did it. Uh, there are certain. Uh, yeah, th- topics that we disagree on, that I know we disagree on, and I would quite like to get to the bottom of these disagreements, so that I mean, not to not to change anyone's mind, but just so that we're both clear on exactly where we disagree, and like you know. So you want to play the game of uh, I've got you now, you son of a bitch. No, <laughs> maybe there's an element of that because I feel like I'm right or something, and I get to feel righteous 
when and where discussing these things. Um, but yeah, there are like, there are like a handful of things where we just fundamentally disagree. And I would really like to hash them out. And Mimi is less keen on that most of the time. Uh, and so often when I'll try and bring that up, <laughs> she won't take the bait. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there, a, is there an example of a thing that you, that you fundamentally disagree on that you can, that you, that you can share? Let me think. Possibly the TV situation? Yeah, I think when it comes to like buying things, Mimi's general stance is like... Yeah, just like spending money in general. <laughs> yeah, Mimi's general stance is like, we don't need it, we shouldn't buy it. Whereas my general stance is like, ah, you know, we can afford it, we, we can have nice things kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a few things like that. Anyway, the, uh, I think we'll do maybe a couple more and then we'll call it quits because um, it's already been about an hour. Yeah, we've been going for 50, 58 minutes so far. Uh, so this is, a, this is a good one. And, oh, wait, I think the three of us have actually played this, me, you and Mimi. Uh, so this is this oh, is called okay. courtroom, uh, and it's essentially like it's it's like yeah you know what it is it's like when two people are having a disagreement and there's there's like a third party who the, the two people try and like bring in to, to sort of say you know <laughs> yeah the third party arbiter <laughs> yes this is a, like <laughs> is she being reasonable <laughs> yeah this is a uh, a three handed game with a plaintiff a defendant and a judge uh, and in the example that Burns given this is the the husband the wife uh, and the therapist. Uh, where, you know, the husband, you know, there'll be a, like a group therapy session, a couple therapy or something. Uh, and the husband will say something like, oh, let me tell you what, uh, what the missus did yesterday. She took this, this, you know, whatever. And the wife is like, no, here's what really happened. You know, he did this. And, you know, just before that, he actually did that as well. And the husband's like, well, well, look, Mr. Therapist, I'm glad you've had a chance to hear both sides of the story. I only want things to be fair. <laughs> you know, you've, you've heard both the sides and I'm right, aren't I? <laughs> uh, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I've definitely been in this situation a bunch of times. I feel like I'm, I'm often the, uh, the therapist role when, uh, two other people are having, having a little tiff. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I, I think it's worth going a bit deeper into this, in, into like trying to figure out like what it, what should the therapist actually do in this situation? <laughs> you know, it's kind mm. of like, and, and so like the antithesis to this game, i.e. like the thing that needs to be done to kind of break the game is that the therapist says to the husband, you're absolutely right. And then if the husband relaxes uh, complacently or triumphantly, if the, if, the, if the husband feels like triumphant about the therapist validating them and saying that they're right, then the therapist should ask, how do you feel about me saying that? <laughs> and then the husband replies, I feel fine. You know, the husband's actually really happy. The husband says, you know, oh, yeah, I feel fine. And then the therapist says, actually, I lied. I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then the husband says, well, actually, you know, I knew that all along. <laughs> uh, and if he's not honest, he will uh, show some reaction that makes it clear that a game is in, in progress. Yeah, you're basically trying to highlight the fact that this is a stupid game that they're playing uh so that everyone's yeah. everyone's <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so as the as the as a therapist your job is just is to say guys this is a stupid game you're playing stop it uh yeah okay yeah that seems reasonable i can definitely think of uh more than one example when <laughs> the three of us have played that particular game uh yeah so that that's an interesting one uh maybe we'll do one more game um party game uh we've kind of done the interesting party games uh and just as a general comment for people listening in on the live, uh, partly I'm sorry that we're not interacting with the live. Partly it's because, you know, this is a podcast and, you know, in a podcast you have to kind of keep the, the topic on topic for the most part. And partly because there, on average, that one in every 
300 comments is relevant to the podcast uh about 100 in every 300 comments are are you guys fasting uh and another 200 are just kind of random comments well but thank you very much for the uh the compliments about the glasses and about how they love tamor's laugh (laughs) tamor will you go out with me how do you guys cope in exam season etc but kind of just as a quick explainer as to why we're not actively interacting with the chat if anyone would like to send us a super chat uh, then we would interact with the chat. So <laughs> thank you, RGB and Vision Stealth, for the for the two donations so far. Damon, guess how much money we've made off this podcast so far? Fiverr. Oh, mate, £2.40. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, what's one more one more? So game actually, thing? there's another category which he calls good games. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds interesting. That sounds like games that are actually not necessarily bad. Uh, I'm trying to see what it actually is. Uh so don't forget that a lot of this like transaction analysis stuff is as like a tool for psychiatry you know a tool for like a therapist or a psychiatrist to use with their patients and so ah okay that's Mm -hmm. interesting ah so a good game is actually not a not not completely good but it's it's a uh it's a game where it's it's still a game there's still something ulterior going on they're not like keeping it real or whatever but the social contribution outweighs the complexity of the motivations uh so like okay. it like it's definitely a game and they're not keeping it real but it's also not the worst thing in the world and so for example there's one called uh there's one called happy to help where uh in this game white is consistently helpful to other people with some ulterior motive he may be doing penance for past wickedness covering up for present wickedness uh making friends in order to exploit them later or seeking prestige so white is like <clears throat> doing nice things so that people think he's nice uh but uh whoever questions his motives must also give him credit for his actions uh after all people can cover up for past wickedness by becoming more wicked uh or exploit people uh rather than being generous you know right so yeah some philanthropists for example are more interested in competition than in benevolence Uh, and i think uh i don't know if you watch like these shows of like i like gossip girl and stuff you get the impression that all these kind of the the upper classes often have like a a philanthropy pissing contest with one another of like, oh, what do you, you know? She threw the she threw this charity ball or gala or something. You know, we have to like uh, one up them kind of thing. And so like, yeah. there's a game going on, but like the net result is not so bad. <laughs> it's like, I guess a lot a lot of money is going to good causes. Yeah. Okay. So so that's what they mean by kind of good game. Yeah. And apparently, this game as an exploitative maneuver is the basis for a large proportion of public relations in America. Uh, but the cu- public relations, as in. Uh, just like the way people interact with one another, you know. Oh, okay. Public, right. rather than, so not like PR. Uh, no, not like PR, but just like, yeah, just, just like okay, that way. Cool. Uh, and it's perhaps one of the most pleasant and constructive of the commercial games. Uh, yep. Yeah, it is. Cool. So those are some of the games that people play. I feel like we just got to spend half an hour introducing the topic, another 10 minutes discussing games we talked about last episode. Uh, but it's fine <laughs> we gotta we gotta we gotta keep the content machine running right yeah oh wait there's there's uh, one there's, there's one more which seems interesting it's, it's very short oh. it's called the homely sage uh and apparently this, this is uh probably a script rather than a game doesn't really matter who cares uh where a well-educated and sophisticated man learns as much as he can about all sorts of things uh besides his own business when he reaches retirement age he moves from the big city where he held a responsible position to a small town uh, there it soon, soon becomes known that people can go to him with their problems of whatever kind uh, and he can help them out. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, he's like the, the homely sage. <laughs> and so he uh, he finds in his new environment 
uh, the status as the homely sage. Uh, you know, he's not making any pretenses. He's always willing to listen. Uh, but apparently there is, uh, there is something gamey going on Ooh. when people intentionally set up, set this kind of, uh, role up for themselves. Anyway. Almost like doing like live stream Q and A's and stuff, trying to be like the, mm. the homely sage. Yes. Oh, by the way, thank you, thank you, Hum, for the two pound sixty, keeping it real. We've now made a fiver off this podcast oh, episode table. Legendary. Yeah, winning at life. Thank you very much to everyone who's donated. All right. Okay. That that wraps up. Uh, look, we're not going to have another episode about transaction analysis. Uh, I've said that this is a. Uh, I, I care deeply about this topic. Uh, I hope to be uh, taken yeah, further. We should make a book club video about this. Yeah, I, I definitely want to produce more content about this and, and like in a better way. I feel like the, like, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna game call me as, uh, saying, look, as playing, look how hard I've tried. But, <laughs> you know, I put, I put some effort into summarizing and making notes about, uh, the topics so that we can have these three episodes on them. I think, I think it's still fairly kind of disorganized and a bit of a jumble mm-hmm. and requires a bit more thinking and structure of the best way to sort of communicate the topic. Uh, so I'd like to be doing more of that over the next few months. Uh, but yeah, this is the last episode we'll have on transaction analysis. If you're interested, uh, the best book you should get on the topic is called I'm Okay, You're Okay by Thomas Anthony Harris. Uh, once you've read that, you might enjoy Games People Play by Dr. Eric Byrne. Awesome. So, uh, a few other random, random bits. So I've been trying to, so basically, uh, I think, I think I might, I might message you about this, but I've been trying to come up with like the name for a series a series of videos where I talk about life lessons that I've learned from like influential people, influential people in my life. Right. All right. And I put, I put this out on, on Twitter. I've, st- I've started using Twitter uh, quite properly, um, which has been, which has been wonderful. It's now it's fast become my favorite way of just like posting random oh, stuff nice. just because of the, it's just so great that it's, 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 it feels more like a real time communication rather than Instagram or YouTube. Like it, YouTube is sort of like extreme end of kind of one to many. Yeah. And Instagram is also fairly extreme end of one to many because, and occasionally you get a DM, which then becomes one to one. Whereas Twitter is sort of like a nice way of like putting out a question and actually getting almost real time interaction back. And then it becomes very easy to reply to these sorts of things. Anyway, uh, so Twitter is great, but I kind of asked this question on Twitter about what should I name the series? And someone suggested calling it League of Legends. Hmm. And I thought that would be really, really bounce. Um, and so I mentioned it to to uh, Christian, who's my editor on, on Slack, and he said, "Well, it would sort of be like having uh, a YouTube a, sh- a show where you talk about World War Two tactics and calling it World of Warcraft." And I was thinking that would be so funny. And he was like, uh, "It wouldn't be that funny." So I, I, I'd be curious as to where you stand on this <laughs> on this side of the debate. I don't think it's that funny. I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's maybe like the first time you see it, it's like, oh, haha, that's a that's a video game, but it's. <laughs> it's not it's not funny i don't think anyone else cares about the title at all i think you need to you need to get your head out of your ass no, no. <laughs> i think the title is very important because the title is what makes a series brandable and if and if a series has like a good a good name you're far more likely to kind of continue doing it like mkbhd marquez has a series about cars called autofocus okay that's a that's really a good, good name. name that's a good name <laughs> and the fact that it's got a good name means that he i'm sure is incentivized to make more videos about it because it's like hey guys welcome to the yeah, next episode of autofocus today we're talking about the tesla Model look 3. i totally buy the importance of a, of a brand you know you're preaching to the choir here but like league of legend it's like a funny name but a lot of people who come across that is going to be like oh like some, some like gaming video I, I don't care about this like it's it's just know. a weird brand no, like like obviously they won't. It would it would be it would be more like the title of the of the video would be like ten lessons I learned from Gary Vaynerchuk, 
and the opening of the video will be, hey guys, welcome back to League of Legends, the series where I talk about lessons I've, get, I've learned from famous people. Yeah, I guess look, it's fine. It's, it, it, Which is kind of mildly... Okay, yeah, anyway, it's so all right. I had this other idea. I had this other idea. So uh, you probably don't know, but uh, I open my most of my YouTube videos and my email newsletters with the phrase, hey friends. Yes, I've seen this. And wonderful. Um, and it seems like uh, on I've I've experimented with not doing that. And there's always people in the comments being like, oh, where was the hey friends? I've been waiting for the hey friends. Which is kind of what you want when you're when you're kind of building a quick brand because you want to create these sort of memes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the the shared terminology, that's that sort of thing. And so I was thinking, what if this series gets called the Friend Zone? What would that be about? <laughs> As in the series about so for so for example, um, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the series where we uh, welcome back to the friend zone where we talk about uh, mentors that I've that have helped me over the years who don't know that I exist. The first member of the friend zone is Gary Vaynerchuk, who I learned these ten ten lessons from. Oh, okay. As like a, set, a somewhat banterous thing that also then unlocks the option of, for example, I want to make like a a sort of community type thing at some point. Yeah, I think and calling that, that yeah like the friend zone would make a lot of yeah sense. that that sounds a lot more fitting for like for the community type thing rather than like yeah but the learning oh no sure so i I, so so i mean the learning from experts would 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 sort of be a a a, a tongue-in-cheek uh of um the first honorary member of the friend zone is gary vaynerchuk for helping me by writing these books he doesn't know i exist but here are the lessons i learned from him type type situation yeah that's kind of funny i guess i think that would be kind of funny and kind of clever yeah which is all you can really hope for with these sorts of (laughs) yeah they're like uh it's mildly amusing yeah it's mildly amusing sure I'll give you okay, that. Cool, that's fine. I've got your seal of approval. I've got your permission. Nice. Okay, can I do the <laughs> got thing? My stroke. Hark uh, back to episode. Was it three? Why do we seek permission? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, have we got anything interesting in the chat? Um, no, not really. But yeah, thank you for everyone for for tuning in and for all the thingies. Uh, we need to do an, an, uh, all the, all an the insight of the week, and then we need to read a review. Okay. Insight of the week. I had one which I've been mulling over. I, uh, I've gone and done a Twitter poll yesterday. Uh, here's a poll. You're reading something aloud in English. It includes a person's name, which comes from another language, for example, French. You are familiar with this language, but far from fluent. How do you pronounce the name when you're reading it out loud? Do you use the English pronunciation or do you attempt to use the correct pronunciation? Uh, I think it's a middle ground. Yes. Because if you if you attempt to use the correct pronunciation, you can sound like a twat. Yeah, um, and it's always it's always a little it's it's it sounds like you're trying too hard if you use the actual correct pronunciation. But equally, if I was referring to someone called Ali, I would call them Ali, not Ali. I would call them uh, I would call them Muhammad rather than Muhammad with a ha, because right. <laughs> that because that would just just be a little bit odd in right yeah in conversation. I don't know. What were the results of your Twitter poll? What, what do you think they were? Like, what, what percentage of people do you think would use English versus uh, trying the correct pronunciation? I remember actually seeing that. Oh, okay. This, so yeah, it, it, was about, it was about 30% would uh, use English pronunciation, 70 would use the correct pronunciation, which is uh, a lot more skewed than I thought it would be. I thought it would be more balanced. Yeah, I think the, the reason I was thinking about it was because it does feel really cringy or something to kind of switch. Like, if you're reading something in English and you see, like, a word in French, uh, it feels, yeah, it feels cringy to, like, be like da 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 Adrien <laughs> yeah you know like <laughs> like yeah and so I was thinking about like why does it feel why does it feel so cringy and why does it you know and uh, yeah I think the I think my my best guess for why it feels cringy 
is because there's a concern that other people might feel like you're trying too hard or trying to show off or something. Yeah. Uh, a bit like the thing we were talking about, like playing piano in public. Like you don't want to seem like yeah. a show off or something like that. And so you're, you're kind of, um, pre, preempting that. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. There's always like a bit middle ground. I think in most, yeah, in most words, there's like an uncontroversial middle ground where you sort of, you get the shape of the word right, but you don't get like the nuanced sounds. So like in, in, mm-hmm. you know, in French, for example, you can, uh, you know, if you're like at a, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a classic dish called moule frites. Uh, it's mussels and chips. And if you're like, I don't know, if you're English or something, you'd probably, you know, if you, re- if you see that written down and you were pronouncing it in English, you'd probably say like, Mowler's frites or something, right? But you're not going to do that. You know, yeah. you know, it's, it's roughly pronounced moule frites. You, you'd probably say moule frites, but you won't make the effort to say the French R. So you won't say like frites or whatever, you know? Uh, so I think in, in most of the time, there's like a, there's like an uncontroversial middle ground where you make a respectful attempt, <laughs> but not like, not take it too far. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 this reminds me, of the, there was an article in The Onion many, many years ago, which, where the headline was, uh, man sweats wondering how he's going to pronounce croissant. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Because you're like, hey, could I get a latte and a croissant, please? <laughs> or a croissant, uh, yeah, or a, yeah. however you want to pronounce <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, there's a real spectrum of how far you could take that one. <laughs> yeah, I think the Americans have a good solution. They, they, it's the sort of accepted pronunciation is just croissant, and like everyone's happy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's my insight for the week. Do you want to read a review and then we can uh, call it quits? Uh, yes. So I'm going on chortable.com and oh uh, no, how do I how do I see our reviews? You go on the reviews thing, mate. Oh, it says reviews. All right, here we go. From uh, oh, it's a, a review called Best Podcast Award from Je Pense Trop. <laughs> <laughs> you pretentious twat. J e je pense trop. That's more like it. <laughs> J. Penstrop. Uh, thank you, J. Penstrop, via Apple Podcast from France. Uh, he says, wow, I finally found uh, a way to leave a review. <laughs> After listening to the podcast for years, you guys are the ones who made it easy for me with your link. Here's a link that works even if you're on iPhone. I love your podcast. Your guys' chemistry is pure and refreshing. Two smart brothers talking about stuff that matters with a spin of intelligence and elegance. So, Temo, remember when he said that you love washing your hands? Lately, I've been thinking about you every time I do wash my hands a lot. Aww. You're definitely a trendsetter. <laughs> Rockstar. Ali, love your YouTube channel to bits. Love the podcast because I can work on my business while listening to you guys. You guys keep me entertained and informed. Kudos to you. Merci beaucoup. Je, trop, je pense trop. That was very nice review. Podcast. That was an impressive French accent. I, that was, yeah, I thought Thank that was really good. Like a, oh, like an, man. that's very kind. Like an, an impression. You know, it was like a, it was like a good take the piss out of the French accent. <laughs> a, 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 a good fake French accent. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Rob Bride. Nice. Alrighty, we better call it quits. Um, thank you everyone yeah. for listening. Right, good. Uh, and good sesh. See you, see you all next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.